Welcome to Beliefs of the Heart Weekly Reflection. I'm Sam Williamson, and today we're discussing the measure of our lives. Years ago, an entrepreneur I barely knew asked if we could meet. He was an aggressive business person, a roaring lion among his peers. Yet on the phone, he seemed hesitant, perhaps broken. He certainly choked up a few times in our short conversation. We met for lunch on his 40th birthday. Again, his demeanor was vulnerable and exhausted, and something in my heart went out to him for whatever his suffering might be. He said he had been struggling, but nothing relieved the pain. His nights were restless, every discussion with his wife ended up in a fight, and he'd even lost interest in helping his son play soccer. And as he shared, tears silently rolled down his cheeks. His voice finally broke, and he began to sob right there in the restaurant. And I still had no idea what his issue was, though his tears did break my heart. He eventually quieted himself and explained. Ever since he was a child, he had wanted to run a successful business. He had even set a goal of having $10 million in the bank by the age of 40. He moaned, Sam, including my savings in my 401k, I barely have $6 million to my name. This conversation actually happened exactly as I just wrote it above, although even as I read it over again, I shake my head in disbelief. But it happened. Smart goals. When I was in business, we evaluated employees using SMART goals. S, specific, M, measurable, A, actionable, R, realistic, and T, time-bound. The goals varied widely depending on the job, but their annual raises or promotions were contingent on their achieving specific targets. Salespeople were judged by the annual revenue of their sales. Software analysts were ranked by the average turnaround time on bug fixes. And owners computed their value on the profits made. Christians may shy away from worldly standards, but the temptations of worldly wisdom creep in. Churches fixate on the size of their Sunday attendance. Campus ministries ask their employees for monthly reports for Bible studies led and donor letters sent. And the person in the pew measures their spiritual progress by the length of their personal prayer time, how much they donate, or how much shame they've rejected. We quantify our lives with numbers, diapers changed, dishes washed, and golf handicaps. I recently got my score down to 74, but then I fell apart on the back nine. Thanks for asking. What is the value of our lives? Alan Gardner was a mid-19th century missionary who passionately longed to plant a mission in South America. In 1850, he and a few friends landed on an island off the southern coast of Chile. They had provisions for six months. But the climate was harsh, the local people hostile, the land barren, and the resupply ship was delayed. Short of food and medical supplies, all of Gardner's companions suffered the painful death of starvation. Gardner, too, finally succumbed, survived only by his journal. By all modern measures of ministry success, Gardner's life was an utter failure. His church attendance was a handful of friends. He preached almost no sermons. Not one soul was saved, and not one Bible study was conducted. Yet the second-to-last sentence in his journal reads, and I quote, Young lions do lack and suffer hunger, yet they that seek the Lord shall lack no good thing. Psalm 34.10 Beneath that verse, he penned his last words on earth. And I quote, 
I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Was his life a failure? The world as we know it will be shaken and it will pass. The true measure of our lives is determined by the level of intimacy we have with our Lord. It's never what we do as much, not as much as what we worship. Let us all invest in the one thing that lasts. A few months ago, I met with a friend who is nearing retirement, I mean, months away from retirement. And his story, as he's talking about retirement, reminded me of this other millionaire, six millionaire, not 10 millionaire, from 35 years ago. Because this new friend, as not this new friend, this new conversation, as he's closing in on retirement, he felt grief about not having accomplished much in his career. He didn't move up the ladder that much. He was sort of mid-level manager, was overlooked for a variety of positions. At least he felt like he was. Um, he was going to be financially okay for retirement, but he had hoped to be able to have a condo like in the villages in Florida, someplace where he could go in the winter to golf, but he just didn't have the money to do that. He, he could stay in his house, although they were going to downsize to save on some money. And he just felt grief and loss at a career that wasn't that great and financial mediocrity, not poverty, but not great success. On the other hand, he really just has a lovely wife. I mean, she's she, she's both beautiful and sweet, and she, she really loves him. She, she's, a, she's a wife who loves him, loves to spend time with him, loves to talk with him, loves to listen to him. His kids like him. He's got a good relationship with all of them. But it wasn't enough for him. He wanted money. Even though he has great relationships with his wife and his kids and his siblings, he wanted to retire in comfort. And the thing is, is we should all know this, the comforts that we have today are more comfortable than Solomon had in all his riches. He didn't have air conditioning. He didn't have dishwashers. He didn't have the kind of comfortable clothes we have. I mean, we are more comfortable and wealthier in many ways than Solomon and all his riches. But as I'm talking to this man who's nearing retirement, from the outside, I say, you have what everybody has wants on their deathbed. They want to be able to have loving relationships with their family. And they sacrifice their family for the sake of money. And on their deathbeds, they say, you know, the money just wasn't worth it. I just wish I had better relationships. He has those relationships, but he's not on his deathbed. So he's not valuing them. He's saying, I just wish I had enough money to have a condo in the villages in Florida. We always measure the wrong thing. We just always measure the wrong thing. I, you know, it's something in the human heart, the human soul that that never is satisfied. I remember the story in C.S. Lewis's *The Great Divorce*, where, you know, it's a fictional story of a man who's in hell, but he gets a chance to get on a bus and visit heaven and see what heaven is like. And then while he's there, he's actually given a chance to go into heaven. And while he's there, he sees all these great characters, all these a variety of characters. One of them is this woman who is beautiful beyond imagination. She's glorious. She has crowds of people around her dancing and singing and delighting and partying. And this man who's from hell has a guide who's sort of giving him a tour of heaven. And he says to the guide, is it, is it? I whisper to the guide. Not at all, said he. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, 
and she lived at Golders Green. Well, she seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. The guide says, aye, she is one of the great ones. You have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. We measure the wrong thing. There's, there's a certain kind of fame or wealth or relationship that we want that doesn't satisfy us here. But part of the reason for that is because fame on earth, success on earth, a wealth on earth is not the same thing is wealth in heaven, in the future kingdom where we're headed. Um, and, 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 and scripture's counterculture, it's always talking about this. Jesus is sitting watching people give money, and, a, and some people are wealthy and are giving tons of money at the temple, and a widow comes along and gives two half pennies. So she gives a penny. And Jesus says she gave more money than all the rest. There's some kind of kingdom calculus. There's a kingdom accounting that says it's very, very different. It's very, very different, and that's more significant. What she gave, the kingdom can use more significantly. What Sarah Smith gave, who is completely, totally unknown on earth, is in, is famous in heaven. And Jesus is always challenging us. He says, the rich, you know, in those days, in the days of Jesus, they felt wealth was a sign of God's favor. And so when Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, they're just shocked because they're thinking, well, a rich man has clearly experienced the blessings of God. And if that person can't make it into heaven, who can? And Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. He's saying it's a different measurement in heaven. You know, you guys always hear me talk about self-esteem. Well, I'm going to say it again. On earth, we're always talking about self-confidence. We're talking about self-esteem. But scripture measures meekness. Scripture says the meek are the ones that can inherit the earth. And what it means is we're inheriting the kingdom of God. It's a different kind of measurement. We measure on earth self-esteem, self-confidence. The heaven measures weak meekness. And meekness is not timidity. Meekness is a kind of strength that comes from a firm and certain confidence of God's love for us. Meekness is the thing that gives us ballast, that gives us, that enables us to stand up even in the middle of difficulties. That's why Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of darkness, death, despair, evil, danger, even though I walk through that valley, you're with me and that's all I need. It's a different measurement. Scripture has a different measurement for all of us, and I just want us to keep recognizing the world wants to infect us with its measurement, which is how much money do we have? How much fame do we have? What kind of position did we have? Do we have a house in the villages in Florida? Uh, are we giving enough money? Um, are we rich? Are we confident? Do we have self-esteem? Or or are we happy enough? You know, this is a big one. We're, we're searching for happiness. And, and Jesus says, if you want to, if you if you seek your own life, you will lose it. In other words, if we're seeking happiness, we won't get it. But if we seek God's kingdom, this means if we seek God's sense of reality, if we seek the measurements of God, if we seek God and His righteousness, these other things will come. Because the kingdom of God is what gives us a joy and a peace and a delight and happiness. Like some someone says, blessed. 
which is happy, satisfied, fulfilled. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, that stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Lord, and, the, and on the Lord's word he meditates day and night. The scripture is saying, we're looking to get happy, and scripture says, look for the Lord, look for the Lord, and then you will get the very thing you that you want, those other side things. But it's God that gives it to us. It's just actually knowing God that gives us this to us. It's not that measurements are bad. It's that we confuse the world's measurements with the kingdom's. Yes, it's look at let's let's expand our prayer time. Let's expand our time reading scripture, but not so that we pat ourselves on the back, so that we 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 just come to know God. I love Alan Gardner's closing line. He is dying. He's just quoted this that the young lions may lack, you know, they may be hungry, but those who love the Lord will always be satisfied. He ends up saying, as he dies, the last word he pens. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I can't read that without, of course, I did just read it without tearing up, but I was going to say, I can't read that without tearing up because this is what I want in my heart is I want to be able to say, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. And that's all I need. Knowing God alone. This is what God calls us to God, God alone, knowing him is better than the wealth of the world. It's better than the fame of the world. It's better than the shallow happiness of the world. It's better than the shallow safety of the world. Knowing God is all that we need. And in the end, when we know God, we'll find we need nothing else. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our website, beliefsoftheheart.com, for more articles, books, videos, podcasts, and courses, all designed to foster intimate theology, deepening a real relationship with the real God who is there. See you next week.